You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to this week's Sports Hub show here on freshair.radio with me, Peter Johnson, joined once again by Alfie Steiner. We had a bonkers weekend in the Premier League this week. We had a clash of the Titans, Manchester City against Liverpool. VAR ran a mock and Ollie saved his job yet again. All right, so Alfie, let's start off. There's only one place we can start, really. That's at the Etihad Stadium. Uh, it was a good game of football, maybe not the blockbuster we'd have hoped for, uh, but what did you make of it overall? I definitely think you know the first the first half was was an absolute cracker. To be honest, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think Liverpool were really exerting their dominance. Um, you know they got the early penalty. Carl Walker, <laughs> Roy Keane branded. Oh, yeah. He was asked like, what 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 could have Carl Walker have done differently? Or look like why did they concede the goal? And, and Roy Keane's analysis went as far as he's an idiot. That's off um, the highlights reel, wasn't it? The end of the I'm, season. I'm sort of a bit sick of Roy Keane as a pundit, to be honest. Anyway, that's that's another issue. Um, yeah, so like Liverpool were, were well and truly on top, and then Gabriel Jesus scored a cracking goal. Uh, great Kevin De Bruyne pass, and then the, the the tie sort of flipped a bit. I mean, De Bruyne obviously should have scored that penalty. Um, of all the players then, expect to score a penalty as well. Yeah, exactly, and, and perhaps it was the just deserved for it maybe not being a penalty. There was obviously a bit of VAR controversy, which I'm sure we'll get on to uh, throughout the weekend. Um, but yeah, and then the second half, it sort of petered out a bit. I think it was such a highly, like, uh, so intense in the first half, it uh, sort of calmed down a bit in the second half. But, you know, one or probably a fair result. Uh, City and Liverpool probably both slightly disappointed not to have won the game. Yeah, I was going to come on to that. Um, I mean, Liverpool obviously coming away from home. It's obviously getting used to the fact they've got no Van Dijk. Thiago was out again this weekend. Um, yeah. Not all the big names there. City probably had a closer to their full strength 11 and obviously were at home but weren't able to close the gap. Um, mm. I think you definitely, you, you would think Liverpool would probably be, although they didn't get the win, which they were, at one point it looked like they were well in control. Um, yeah. Still probably more satisfied, aren't they? Yeah, probably. Especially given... I mean, well, uh, Man City would probably be happy with the way they responded to Liverpool starting the game better. But by the same token, I think, you know, ordinarily that penalty goes in, it's 2-1 to City and then the game changes. So they'll probably be slightly more frustrated not to have done better. Liverpool probably happier to get a point away from home, as you say, without Van Dijk. Um but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the blockbuster that everyone was expecting. But I I don't think you know there's probably a reason for that. City have not been you know as as exciting to watch this year. Liverpool obviously, I mean, they started with a, basically a front four, so you thought maybe they'd uh, they'd go for it a bit more, which I think they did at the beginning. But yeah, it was a bit more bit more sort of a battle of Klopp and Guardiola. A lot of respect for the two managers, which. You know, I think we can we can sort of anticipate these days. I uh, I thought it was really interesting that uh, it almost seemed suicidal in some way playing all four uh, of uh, Salamani, you know, and Jota. You wondered if he was trying to maybe capitalise on you know, the reputation of the City's defence has as maybe been a little bit weak. You did wonder if that would maybe play into the strengths of the likes of De Bruyne, uh, yeah. midfield, and all the strikers. Well, 
Yeah, throughout the game, it, it, to be honest, like the first half, and then City sort of mirrored this in the second half. Liverpool were basically playing with a four-four-two. I don't know if you watched the game, but you know it was basically Salah and Firmino up top, and then Mane was on the left, and I think Jota was on the right. But there was definitely a period of the game where there was a front two, um, and then City did it towards the back end of the second half with De Bruyne and and Jesus to not such great effects. But you know it was quite a in terms of systems and stuff and the way that we expected Liverpool to play, I guess, without Van Dijk, ordinarily you'd probably think, well, they're getting another midfielder or, you know, look to protect their defensive line. But look, they went for it. So, and it was interesting, Firmino came off first as well. So I think his his starting position probably is slightly under threat. At the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, well, you've, we've already mentioned it uh, a couple of minutes ago. Obviously, it was a big weekend for penalty decisions. There were two in this game. Uh, the mm. first one, I think, was, was uh, as Roy Keane pointed out, was fairly terrible. <laughs> uh, but what did you think of the first one? I mean, I, 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 I used to referee football several years yeah. ago. But I've, so I used to like, have to know all these laws and everything. But I, where, yeah. where do you stand with handball now? I've just absolutely completely lost track. <sighs> we'll it's like Stanford one later. But just, yeah, of course. But it's quite interesting. I mean, it was a big talking point because it... it he sort of, as, as the ball is played towards him, his arm is out, but then tries to bring it back in um, to sort of get out of the way. But then it's like, well, you know, you can't do anything if your hand's out and whether your hand should be out in the first place and therefore you should be penalised. I think the only thing that we can take from it is that at least I think it was slightly consistent throughout all the games, like penalty or not a penalty. I think all of them were given as penalties, um, which maybe all three of them shouldn't have been given. But yeah, that Gomez one, I mean, his hand is out. But it comes at him with such a quick, you know, it's, it's fired in by De Bruyne and he tries to get his hand out of the way. And it's not like a, your natural bodily position is not to have your arms like by your sides, behind your back. So I think it's, it's very harsh, but I don't know. If, I don't know where I stand, but it seems the, the, the referees are standing uh, united on this. That's just going to be quite a few penalties from handballs at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was something with his, his natural motion from running or whatever, but it just seemed like he, he kind of turned to face the ball and his arm was out. It wasn't, I don't, I'm not sure it was a case if he was running and his arm was out. So I don't yeah. know, maybe that, that came into it, the fact that he was mm-hmm. actually running at the time. But um, I certainly know in the case in the case of Leeds, we'll come on to in just a second, they've asked um, the FA for clarification, haven't they, on how the VAR, mm-hmm. how, um, how the handball rule's been applied now, uh, which I think would be a favour to us all because... Yeah. <laughs> a single person apart from the referees who, uh, who understand it. I think even that's questionable at times, isn't it? Um, yeah, exactly. But let's just move on now to uh, Palace against Leeds. Obviously, the um, the result was a fairly conclusive win for Palace. And uh, Eze, I can never pronounce Surprisingly, it. Surprisingly, might I add. Um, he, uh, yeah, Eze kind of uh, put in that performance that everyone's been uh, expecting from him for a while. Um, Bamford, of course, yeah. got a broken goal. Um, but it's more the goal that Bamford didn't get that was the, the, uh, the talking point. And the VAR kind of going to new levels to offer up just a blatantly wrong decision, not even a, a controversial mm. one. Um, yeah, I mean, it was slightly ridiculous. I just watched the highlights back and it's just not offside. It's a perfectly good goal. And it's like, well, which, you know, he's played onside by a certain part of the defender's body, but then you know it's measured against his like forward movement it's like where yeah it's it's just crazy it sort of boggles me that I mean the lack of clarity in terms of well why is he offside like which bit of him is offside 
which bit of the defender is playing him on. There's just so many variables that I guess they're in, a, in an ideal world, you wouldn't have to, you know, rule out a perfectly good goal, great movement, perfectly timed ball uh, on, on the margins of, well, you know, whatever that was. Well, I remember a few years ago, um, which I think is why we're kind of in the position we're in now, where there were goals being disallowed because players were there, like they were offside by an arm or something, mm. which obviously was ridiculous. You can't score with your arm. So they did change it so that if it was your arm that was offside, then it wasn't offside. But then obviously you've got the question of where does your arm end and your shoulders start or whatever. It's <laughs> sleeves length. <laughs> exactly. So it's, uh, in some ways it was easier when it was just, you, you know, you're offside, your arm's offside. But it's, it is all ridiculous. I mean, I think I said it before that, you know, the VA, offside is to prevent people goal hanging. It's not to disallow a perfectly good goal by a millimetre or something. I, just, I don't believe it's in the, in the spirit of the game at all. No, and I, yeah, it, it does. I think at this, I, I think I've said it before, but at this moment in time, given that there's no crowds in the stadiums, I think we're sort of, more more inclined to accept it as much as we get upset about it it's like well the sort of quite um you know artificial uh, landscape of football at the moment it's just like no crowds very you know the, the socially distanced and all that sort of stuff but then the, these decisions get made and we sort of are more inclined to accept them but imagine if a goal like that has been disallowed in a you know a full stadium i know Leeds were away but you know it's like well how how is this gonna align with fans whenever they do come back into grounds I think it's going to be really tough to be able to like have these decisions made because you know it's just it is a massive part of the game to you know the sort of spontaneity and 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 the emotions of it and this just sort of removes all of that um which is a shame yeah I mean um I do wonder if as you say with no crowds it's maybe slightly easier to experiment with kind of various applications of VAR and applications of the handball or rule or whatever with, with, with no crowds there uh, but it doesn't mean that once crowds are eventually going back you know the referees and the VAR will have got such a bad reputation for themselves it's just going to be mm. absolute riots yeah I think it is like you don't want to see it I mean football fans in general I mean unless you have a, a, an unprecedented bias. I mean, we'll get on to, unfortunately, get on to the Arsenal game. But, the, you know, Villa's first goal, obviously, that was another decision that went to VAR. And, and tech, on a technicality, I suppose, that's worthy of being ruled out. But you just like, even as an Arsenal fan, not wanting that goal to go in, you're like, it's a perfectly good goal. You want to tell me what this is all about? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it. Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking. Or you and your homies might be lying in chalk. I really hate the trip, but I gotta lope. They cope, I see myself in the pistol smoke Fool, I'm the kind of G The little homies wanna be like On my knees in the night Saying prayers in the streetlight
look at the situation, they got me facing. I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the state, so I gotta be down with the hood team. Too much television watching got me chasing dreams. I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. Got my tin in my hand and a gleam in my eye. I'm a locked out gangster, set tripping banker. And my homies is down, so don't arouse my anger. Fool, death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away. I'm living life through a dire. What can I say? I'm 23 now, but will I live to see 24? The way things are going, I don't know. If we just look, just look to the to the uh, the bigger picture of of that game, um, mm. Palace are up to eighth, which I don't think is really the uh, the interesting the interesting talking point. I just thought I noticed that Leeds are down to fifteenth, which I just <laughs> seems really unfair given how much how highly everyone talks them this season to find themselves down in the just above the bottom quarter of the table. Mm, I think you know this result is slightly surprising. The Leeds, I mean, as as it seems to be happening with these stereotypically like middle like mid-table sides you know Leeds beat Villa I think it was last week last week like 3-0 or something like that and then Palace who probably haven't scored four goals well I actually can't remember the last time I saw Palace score four goals and they just absolutely you know you know breeze past Leeds and I just that was a a slightly shocking result to be fair Uh, but Leeds seemed to be you know thrashing some people then getting thrashed by other people so who knows but yeah Palace look they, they seem to be they're consistently all right I think that the consistency is probably their their strength and they're, they're not gonna 
you know, like, not like get Premier League up. Yeah, exactly. But they're not going to, they've just got a very solid team and, you know, they're not very exciting. But as you say, with with uh, Eze and, and Zaha and, you know, there is a bit of fun in that side. So so maybe that they've, they've got that, that sprinkling of... Uh, Thinking of magic that they they, they require to be a, a slightly better, um, but yeah, it leads down down a bit as well. Uh, well, I think it's that time uh, where we turn to the the game that I'm sure you don't want to talk about, but it was one of the score lines of the weekend. Well, the score line of the weekend probably um, Arsenal nil, Villa three. I remember back in the day on the uh, on the opening day, I think Villa beat you once with uh, Benteke. I think he scored a couple on that occasion. Yeah, three one. Yeah. Um, however long ago that was now, uh, but we kind of saw history repeating itself an embarrassing defeat against against Villa. What where do you stand on that one? Uh, it, it was a really tough watch to be honest, uh, especially after the the good feeling and the impressive performance of the team against Manchester United last week uh, to come, albeit in a very different scenario against a different opponent at home, which. You know, Arsenal fans aren't kidding themselves. We knew that this was going to be a tough game. It's the sort of games that we struggled with massively. You know, the when we're the, the team is supposed to be dictating the pace of things and and showing a bit more impetus going forward and not just you know staying in the game or having a, a tactical plan to to deal with the big sides. But you know, Villa comprehensively as as terrible as Arsenal were, don't get me wrong. Villa comprehensively like out outplayed us out muscled us bullied us off the ball were sharp they had midfield runners so much more energetic um so in every single department of the pitch they were better and i think that was what hurt most yesterday and why i was i've been in quite a terrible mood today because it's just like it was a real um low point and probably the lowest point of of arteta's managerial career so far at arsenal and i think you know there's so many questions He's got a fair few answers, Arteta, in his short, you know, managerial career. But at the same time, there are a lot of questions at the moment in terms of, you know, where we play a Bamiyang. It sort of it, it felt like that might be a bit of a, a tipping point, a bit of a watershed moment because, I th- like, Willian and Lacazette were absolutely appalling yesterday. Um, you know, we offered nothing through the middle of the pitch, especially once Thomas Partey came off. Hopefully, he's not out for too long with a thigh injury. Um, but it, it was it was dire yesterday. But more more a testament to how dire it was because of how easily Villa were allowed to play their game and dominate. They literally looked like the home side, the, the side in form. Which I guess to an extent they are. You know, we forget that they they absolutely blew Liverpool away. And however crazy those circumstances were, they they're a really good team. Watching them yesterday, the the, the front four of like McGinn, um, Ross Barkley. Uh, Jack Grealish, who was unbelievable yesterday. Ollie Watkins, powerful, like athletic, you know, combination players. They were really impressive to watch yesterday, which only heightened how like much there is for Arteta to work out in an attacking sense because they were basically doing all the things that all the fans want Arsenal to, doing, yeah. all, all Arsenal fans want our team to do. But yeah, no, it was it was a it was a terrible watch. It was a really unfortunate end to the weekend. I mean, it just seems ridiculous. Made even worse by the fact that I had Ollie Watkins on my fantasy bench, which was great. But anyway, oh, that's things you don't want to see, isn't it? <laughs> uh, how many points is that you missed out on by having him on your bench then? Yeah, thirteen points. Whammy in terms of Arsenal getting absolutely smashed and 
missing out on those those good fantasy points. But you know, well, it seems it does seem ridiculous given what we were talking about last week. We were obviously we were sitting here and. I was feeling a bit down because we'd been beaten by you. We had a good old chat about that, and kind of we, we both agreed really that was the pinnacle possibly of uh, of Arteta. Oh, he's really his breakout moment in the league as Arsenal manager, um, and to be sitting here a week later, and I couldn't help but notice that the, the Arteta out brigade was kind of coming out in force on Twitter last night, which is surely a little bit harsh. Yeah, of course. It's, you know, I, I think again, going back to the whole no fans in the grounds thing, I think it's it's a lot easier to to vent our frustrations on Twitter, especially Arsenal fans, knowing what we're like. I mean, I I didn't. I try. I wasn't really on Twitter last night. I tried to delete it this morning, and then I I realised it was unrealistic for me not to just check Twitter every half an hour. But you know, yeah, obviously the whole Arteta out thing is ridiculous. But you know, we we've had basically one of those one of those big those positive watershed moments last week as we were discussing and then this week has been the worst so it is you know it, the polar opposites within such a short space of time just shows how much work there is to do on this team um to make it a more consistently uh you know effective and and dangerous in an attacking sense team not to mention last yesterday we, we completely fell apart defensively and that was probably more credit to Aston Villa and the direct approach but all the things that we've been sort of getting better at under Arteta completely out the window yesterday. So that also hurt a lot. But yeah, Arsenal fans are definitely starting to get slightly antsy or and and want to see a bit more um because yeah, they can see so much positive so much such positive change under Arteta. But it's like when when things go wrong, it, it almost makes it even worse because there's so much optimism around it underlying. So when things go badly, I mean, you know, the select few people who are saying Arteta out can, you know, quite frankly, uh, well, <laughs> don't value their opinions. But yeah, it, it is, it's uh, it's food for thought, absolutely. Uh, well, just one one final shout out to Villa um, because it's only fair. Um, absolutely. Obviously, knew what they're capable of. They lost. They actually lost the last two matches, didn't they? Having won the first four, uh, but the back up um, back up the table with a fifth win of the season. And are back in the position where they can go top if they win their game in hand. So it's a it's a funny old season this one. Um, we had did we have four four leaders four league leaders in one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, what was it? It was it was Southampton first, then it was Spurs. Yeah, it was Leicester. Don't pretend you don't know that Spurs are top of the table. <laughs> wait, Spurs? No, wait, are they top now? No, were, Leicester. Right, yeah. Then Leicester. Yeah, it doesn't last for that long. Spurs. I mean, can't really talk. They, they, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's bring it up because that's half, that just how it happens. That's one of the next things we're going to come on to. Anyway, what was it like seeing? Uh, obviously, later in the day when you lost three nil, uh, it just probably compounded it. But seeing Spurs top of the league can't have been a uh, first time in well several years. Yeah, I, I, to be fair, I wasn't aware that it's the first time that they've ever been at the top of the tip, like for a few years. But I think still at the moment, I'm not too fussed. I mean, I look at their, you know, they've been playing, you know, they, they've been getting the results and they obviously have that purple patch of form. But you look to the last couple of games and yeah, they're getting the results, they're grinding out the wins. But yeah, against West Brom and, and Burnley and can't remember who else they were, but on paper fixtures that and Brighton, they were supposed to dominate. Um, but it didn't really work out like that. So, and they, you know, if you look at their run uh, over the next, once the international break comes back, you know, they got City, 
Uh, I think they've got Chelsea. I think they've got Liverpool, Arsenal as well, Leicester perhaps, you know, in, in, in a period of like seven games. So I think, you know, I don't think it's going to last that long, but obviously it's, it's not great to see, especially when Arsenal are being battered at their own, own ground by Aston Villa. No, I mean, it's, you know, it's got, you've got to wonder how long perhaps it'll be until you start getting worried, see how long they can keep this momentum up. But as you say, I do, obviously, while well, they had the, the freakish result at Old Trafford, um, which I've just about managed to forget about now, uh, but they, they, generally they haven't played the likes of Liverpool or City yet. Um, they've not they're yet to meet a, uh, a real test. Um, if Lamella hadn't uh, dived on the ground when uh, Anti Martial taps on the shoulder, that might have been a bit of a tougher game as well. Um, so we yet we yet see them truly tested. But obviously, Kane and Son and Bale. It was their first start together as a three. Um, so there's still plenty of positivity to come from there. Um, mm. West Brom. We've started to see a bit of quite a clear bottom four emerging now, aren't we? Um, of which they are one team. I mean, they've not won a game since September against against Harrogate I think wasn't it um, so they're, they're really really looking scraping the barrel to find some kind of come of come yeah. so, to be fair to West Brom they've, they've looked slightly more resolute and and uh, solid I mean you know to lose 1-0 against Spurs and they had their chances in that game I can't remember who they played the week previously but I think it was a tight affair they lost to Fulham recently as well but you know they drew to Chelsea you know, the results haven't been terrible, but, you know, they, they just, I don't think they have enough to stay up. Uh, but they, they seem to be making it a bit bit more difficult for opponents to completely run away with, with the proceedings. But, yeah, no, they're, they're definitely, I expect to see them at the, at the depths of the league for, you know, the whole of the season, really. She's crazy like a fool.
daddy. Oh, she believes in him. She loves her daddy. And now I'll have a little chat about Manchester United, who've been uh, conspicuous yeah, so far on the show. We've not really uh, spoken about them much today. Uh, but it was a mad old week for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer last week. Obviously, the trip over to uh, Istanbul and then the trip over to Merseyside. Not quite so far, uh, but probably almost as unpleasant on uh, on the Sunday. Um, on Saturday, rather. Um, it, was a, it was a good job for the wins against... Uh, PSG and Leipzig, because in terms of one-off performances, that for me uh, on Wednesday night was down there with the Burnley defeat in January springs to mind, and obviously the Spurs game as well. That was that was definitely down there for me in terms of performances on the Solskjaer. Yeah, I, I, I well, I say I had the pleasure of watching it. It was it was quite pleasurable to an extent, but it was it was pretty terrible. I mean, that the defending on uh, Istanbul's uh, first goal was 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 laughable but fair I, I don't know if you caught Solskjaer's post-match interview but he he seemed pretty pretty fired up as he should be to be fair the amount of pressure and we were talking about it last week the amount of pressure that builds upon him after every single result such as the scrutiny of, of being Manchester United manager but you know they, they they look pretty good against Everton um who are not an easy side to take on and you know, sort of restored some sort of degree of order and, and normality, perhaps. I mean, I don't know, but 3-1 against Everton, played quite well. Cavani got his first goal. Bruno Fernandes at it again. Uh, as, as bad as that game was in, in midweek, I think. A huge result for, for Solskjaer on, on Saturday. Um, but maybe it is a case of, you know, I, th- I just think this about Manchester United, especially under Solskjaer, there'll, there'll be losses and then there'll be wins and it's it's all just going to be quite inconsistent as it will be with a lot of teams. But for United especially, I, th- I don't know if that's going to be sustainable long, long term. Yeah, there. Are, I mean, there are a lot of teams, I think we said it before, that are struggling to hit any kind of momentum. And I think we see that with United. We yeah. have get a good win and then a shocking result and a good win and another shocking result. Um, but I don't, as you see, you were watching that game on Wednesday night. Uh, obviously, we were we were blessed with uh, Steve McManaman in commentary. Um, you <laughs> said that uh, I think we know what most people think about Steve McManaman, but he was he said that the the first goal, where if you recall, there was uh, no Man United defender at all. We were playing with a uh, ten strikers at that particular moment. Um, that wasn't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault um, that the defence was arranged like that. I mean, how much of that can you do, do you pin on the manager if it's just something as you know as ridiculous as that she just has to put that down as to a catastrophic 
laps in concentration. I mean, where does the book stop really with, with something like that? There's definitely a line to be drawn. I mean, you think obviously each team in a game scenario is prone to laps of concentration and doing something stupid, but you'd like to think that happens far less frequently with a manager who sort of has his has his squad and, and starting lineup very well, you know, disciplined and tactically drilled. But I do think there is a, you know, what I think it was like 10th, 15th minute, like very early in the first half and you've got literally no one back. I do think, where's the responsibility there? Like I, Harry Maguire, I'm, he, he captains you, doesn't he? Yeah. But, like there's got to be some sort of, responsibility and initiative taken by the people on the pitch because that's just ridiculous that that's basic sort of defending someone's got to notice that as much as you can say well that you know Solskjaer needs to set up his team more in a more disciplined manner that there is a line to be drawn I think when when things like that happen you know there's 11 professional football players out on the pitch who can like at least one of them should be able to organise at least one max. Look, Denver Bar's not exactly the quickest, the quickest guy in the world anymore. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's got to be better. But I think that's definitely more down to the players on the pitch that for that particular instance. It had shades of him nipping did in, didn't it? From a Steven Gerrard slip, Denver Bar nipping in to score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those kind of what, what did you make of it? Uh, what did you make of it as a United fan seeing that? Well, as I say, I think it was it was down there in terms of one-off performances. With I think mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of prepared to excuse that one against Spurs as just an absolute freak, which you know we've seen so many freak results this season. Um, but it's certainly down there with me for that that defeat against Burnley back in January, which is when which is when actually to be fair after that we replied and went on some 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 very good form. We went several months unbeaten actually, so I'm kind of hoping we'll reply in in the same kind mm-hmm. of manner. Um, but yeah. you, I just felt, unfortunately, that there was, a, there was far too much complacency. And I felt it against Leipzig in terms of Solskjaer's team selection. I thought perhaps he wasn't respecting the opponent. Obviously, he did get it right on that occasion, ultimately. He wasn't fielding on paper, perhaps the strongest 11, but it paid off. Um, but I think, again, on this occasion, I think he's just... He got those two brilliant results in the bank and just thought, you know, two wins against Istanbul were in the next round, you know, piece of cake. Um, I just hope that he's 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 learnt the hard way that you know you can't take mm. deeper ground to do whatever you're against. So um, yeah, I mean, I was, I think I was after the game as well. Yeah, I mean, I was um, after I was, the game. He um... sorry, what you said? We're having a bit of delay here, aren't we? Go on, you speak. No, no. All right, cheers. Um, yeah, after the game, he was. He seemed pretty angry just about the, the whole thing about playing every three days, and he's so proud of the, proud of his boys. Um, and he just like he thinks it's ridiculous, and and how how can the footballing authorities expect them to do this and then that? And to an extent, I have some sympathy with him, but yeah, he was he was quite quick. You could tell that he was he was feeling the pressure and the and the skepticism during the week because he he looked like a man who had just had enough, and you know he was like let let the results do the talking, and on Saturday at least. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, just falling to that. I was, I did fear the worst when he was. Uh, I was watching the, the build-up to the Everton game just before kick-off in his interview, and he was already getting in the excuses about um, the fixture schedule and being given the mm. Saturday. And it just felt to me watching it like he just braced himself to the fact that we were going to lose that game against Everton. And though we weren't behind, yeah. I can't say that a single ounce of me was surprised. I just thought, felt the kind of the vibe was giving, giving off before that game was so negative. Um, 
But I suppose it's all the more credit to them that they managed to turn it around because I was really, really fearing the worst for, for that game on Saturday. Yeah, and look, I think you know, maybe to an extent it's sort of about him covering himself because he, he knows the pressure that he's under and, and the flack that he could take after a game which, you know, Everton started quite well and I was sort of thinking, well, maybe United are just going to spiral out of, out of, you know, downhill from here. But, yeah, look, I, I quite liked, I understood where he was coming from at the end of it. I liked that he showed a bit of bit of grit and anger and... and yeah, I agree um, with that, yeah. It was good to see him. And I, I don't blame him. He, you know, he's in that job. It's probably the most demanding job there is. So I mean, He does look like he's starting to take a bit of a mental pounding. Certainly, certainly... Yeah, do you remember those photos of Jose Mourinho like before and after? The yeah, United job? yeah. I, I, it'd be interesting to see if someone could pull out some similar photos of Solskjaer because he yeah. he does look like he is. He normally he seems like obviously he's got a reputation of being so jolly, so so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not necessarily overly too positive, but just being quite quite a, quite a happy go lucky kind of guy. But I just thought the last week is the first time I've really seen him start to. Uh, you start to show a bit of anger on a on a regular basis. That's what United will do for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, I I kind of feel a bit bad asking this, um, but you know, it, it's kind of questions are always going to be asked about it. If you're the powers that, that be at Man United, are you starting to think about getting on the phone with Pochettino? I mean, the top we we're just slipping toward down the table. I mean, we're what we're 14th now. After, mm. after seven games, we have got the all-important game in hand still. Uh, but this inconsistency, and even if we do get through to the the crumb of comfort at the moment, crumb of comfort at the moment is that we have started so well in the Champions League. But you get through to the last sixteen, and you know, mm. don't throw any bottle in, in in the first knockout round, and then you're out of that as well. So it's getting to the point where you do think that the, you know, do you need a bit more someone who's got a bit more grit and a bit more know-how? I think to steady the ship. Yeah, and I think the fact we're we're having this conversation, I mean, it's inevitable, but at the same time just shows how perhaps unfair it can be for for Solskjaer. Um, You know, reports were emerging throughout the week just prior to the Everton game. You know, the Manchester Evening News were saying that Pochettino, the contact had already been made. Um, You know, that didn't seem to go anywhere, but, you know, the sort of the, the, the the groundwork and the... And the sort of backstory is already developing in the sense of is Pochettino close to coming? When, when is it a case of when and not if? Uh, look, I think long, long term, and I'm talking like, you know, next period of next five years. Um, look, I guess if you put it like this way, if, if there was no United manager right now, and I know this is hypothetical, who would you choose, Pochettino or Solskjaer? And it's like, well, obviously you choose Pochettino. Yeah, but I, I, I think Solskjaer's... He, he's 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 a you know a good good chunk into his into his tenure, and I don't think I don't know actually if I think they they want to stick with him for as long as they can, and only if it's pretty dreadful, i.e. by Christmas you're sort of you know looking like you're not going to qualify for the Champions League. I think that's when you know Solskjaer could be in trouble. But as long as you're close to the to the top four, I think he'll probably keep his job and. You know, if you don't qualify for the Champions League, then I think there's bye-bye. But you know, there's 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 still all all the possibilities in the world that 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 could definitely be the case. I mean, interesting that we say that after last week we were saying it looks incredibly unlikely, and then this week, well, beating Everton and Arsenal have lost, and 
uh, sort of the complexion changes. I know you're still 14th or whatever, but sort of, I think uh, the margins are so fine at this point, it's really matter. I mean, it's also getting stage as well, which I think is, is something that's come into the discussion before in terms of, you know, Manchester United stacking or keeping managers is they don't want to get that reputation having, having had strikes Ferguson for so many years, start slipping into that reputation of, uh, you know, eating up managers and, you know, sacking mm. one of the season like certain other clubs have. Um, which I think is a is an incredibly volatile, very dangerous, unappealing reputation. Um, so I suppose there is, from that perspective, I can sort of understand why there may be a bit of a, a bit of maybe a bit of reluctance. But you've got to wonder, given the number of managers we're now starting to get through, why not single one of them has actually proved to be the right choice yet? Um, mm. So kind of this kind of two sides to the argument, but it is. Uh, Certainly incredibly concerning. I mean, obviously, uh, Real Madrid got absolutely hammered this weekend, didn't they? Uh, Barcelona are struggling. So there are, there are potentially going to be some big European jobs out there. Uh, absolutely. And you think of, you think of PSG, if, the, if they don't one-up their, their, you know, if they don't, basically, if they don't win the Champions League this year or, or reach the final again, then Thomas Tuchel's probably out of the job. I could see Pochettino going to all three of PSG, Barcelona, Real Madrid, um, you know, Juventus, well, let's see how Pirlo goes. But all these big clubs are are struggling, really. And, you know, going back to your point of of why maybe your your manager since Sir Alex Ferguson haven't worked, I mean, you know, as I think, I mean, you more than anyone, United fans will know how, how tough a job it is to follow up from that. And given the, the way in which the club would have would have been left by Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, for someone to try and come in and... and, and maintain that level or even get close to a new level of like dominance I think is, is takes so much time you even look at Liverpool I know it's a, a, a weird not not quite a uh, a like-for-like comparison but you know they went through until they landed on the right guy i.e Klopp who you know we anticipate being there for over the next few years you know, they had to go through who was it Dalglish, Rodgers, Hodgson, Hodgson um you know, maybe one more. I think there was just those three, but you know, they, they, it took a while. And I think maybe with you, I guess the difference is there's not so much patience given the amount of money you've been spending and, and, and behaving like you know you are a club who should be competing for for the top honors. But I think if, I don't think you you're not as I said before you're not going to win the title under under Solskjaer, but maybe he'll do a, a valuable job in terms of getting you to a position where then the next guy can come in and be like right. Let, let's let's sort this out and and make us into a really competitive like top level team. Who knows? All right. So obviously we've got everybody's uh, favourite international break now for the next couple of weeks. Uh, a break from the Champions League, which I'm sure everybody really wants uh, in place in place of a couple of international matches. Um, we've got Belgium against England on Sunday at seven forty five in the Nations League. Uh, which you know on paper should be should be a, a, quite a thrilling encounter. Really, two of the top four ranked sides in the world. Um, a lot of the Belgian players obviously familiar to to English fans. Um, but I think the main talking point um, coming out of England uh, the last week or so is uh, Gareth Southgate's public backing of, of Jordan Pickford, saying he doesn't think anybody's realistically challenging him for the, uh, the number one goalkeeper spot. Um, so I just wonder what your first impressions were when you heard that. I think what we've learned from Gareth Southgate is he's quite a... I, I quite like him as an England manager. I, I don't know if he's very exciting, but it looks like he does the, the things you expect a national 
coach to do, i.e. be in contact with all the clubs and their managers updating on progress and behaviour. You know, I read today, you know, he harbours concerns about Mason Greenwood because of the contact that he's been been having with Solskjaer. Apparently, his, you know, his, his effort in training has not been great. He's, you know, he's just looked slightly lethargic. And so Solskjaer said, look, I, he has to stay in Manchester during the international break. But I think with Pickford, I think... You know, he's he's been Southgate's number one since he's come in. He's probably quite he's slightly symbolic of you know the Southgate era, if you want to call it that, which sounds bizarre. <laughs> but no, I get it. Like he's okay. associated with obviously the penalty issue against Colombia. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think and I think he probably quite likes you know Jordan Pickford and his and his contribution to the team in a in a morale morale sense. I mean, look to be fair, who are his competitors? At the moment, I mean, Dean Henderson's not playing club football, so does he have a shout? I mean, arguably on last year's form, yes, but you know, maybe, maybe not. And I, like South um, Pickford was dropped, and then he came back into the firing line. Nick Pope for bottom of the league, Burnley, Burnley, any bottom of the league, not won a game yet. Yeah, like they, they've not been doing well. Pope had a great season last year, but Pope and Henderson were probably a lot closer last year, given how Sheffield United and Burnley were performing. So. Maybe it is. I'm trying to think. Is there any other English keepers with a look in? Uh, they're the three, aren't they? I mean, it's a while since the yeah, keepers like Butland and that and Ben yeah. Fox. Like, so, to be fair, not it's been a while since yeah. they were in. You can understand why maybe he's he's. I think it's a combination of the alternatives, perhaps not being maybe what he wants from an England keeper. Yeah. I.e., he definitely wants players playing who are playing consistently for their clubs. And I guess. I mean. Maybe maybe Pickford slightly edges it over Pope. I'm not sure, but look, I, I think for Nations League and all of this sort of stuff, it's a, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an England fan, but I'm not really too fussed about Pickford or who's in goal. Like if he makes a mistake, then then you know, don't pick him for the next one. I know he has been making mistakes, but like <laughs> from, I mean, from my perspective, there. I don't care enough. He's uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's yet to let Southgate down uh, while playing for England. If memory memory serves me correctly. Uh, yeah. no, it's quite easy for people to forget that, but you know when he's representing England, he's he's yet to he's yet to mess up. In fairness, so I suppose that is that is potentially part of it. Um, I mean, we didn't bring it up earlier, but I would just like to like to bring it up now to see what your thoughts on it were. It's yet again mm. a slightly contentious VAR decision potentially. Um, his challenge of Harry Maguire on Saturday <laughs> was a uh, it wasn't quite his uh, Virgil Van Dijk knockout move, but it was a. Uh, it was risky, wasn't it? Silly. He was he was lucky to get away with it, you know. Like again, it's just a rush of blood to the head. He's so rash and reckless, and like he makes a like a bit of an error, to be fair, like quite a big error, and then panics and just you know then can even like almost made it a lot worse for himself. Um, yeah, like we wouldn't have been surprised if that was given as a penalty, I'm sure. But yeah, just going back to. I mean, I'm thinking if the Euros are going to be, if they if they go ahead, uh, um, you know, come come the summer, I'm thinking maybe Southgate's making such a big effort with Pickford because he genuinely believes that he has the potential to be his best keeper as he was previously. And look, he probably doesn't anticipate Henderson playing much football, so he's not really an option to be number one. I mean, he'll be watching Nick Pope closely, but I guess he doesn't have the international experience at tournament, which I think is very big. He doesn't. He plays for Burnley, who are a team who are probably a bit more used to, you know, dealing with a lot of shots and stuff. And Pickford, I guess, plays for Everton, who are slightly on the up under Ancelotti. So it might just be a sign that he really wants to, like, you know, if, if he drops Pickford and 
doesn't select him or something like that, then it's like, you know, he's really limiting himself come to, to maintain and retain his his confidence in the long term for, for you know, England's benefit. Because I do think that we lack a, a bit of a dominant keeper in, in the national team. Well, that's, that's, at least that's a slightly more positive way of looking at it. <laughs> I'll get showing uh, Pickford to the Orioles next summer. Um, obviously, in terms of this international break, uh, the game against Iceland, quite an infamous trip to Iceland a few weeks ago, obviously, because of uh, Foden and Greenwood. But mm. that game looks like it might potentially be off because of uh, travel restrictions at the moment. So just mm. focusing on the, the Belgium game, we suffered a defeat last time out against, can't even remember who it was against now, Denmark. Didn't we play, didn't we play Belgium very recently? Was that a friendly? Was that Nations League as yeah, well? It was Nations League. We play each side twice, don't you? So we, uh, we had that embarrassing defeat against Denmark last time out. Back again, playing playing uh, Belgium this time. So mm. what do you think? Obviously, you've clearly not been following it, that, following it too closely. <laughs> but uh, against Belgium, away from home, how do you see it going? Uh... Look, I think England will probably compete. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it, it, it could, as with all of football at the moment, or Belgium, obviously, the favourites. Well, we beat them once, didn't we, a few weeks ago? So. Yeah, we did, to be fair. But I think we were quite lucky to. I mean, we stayed in the game, but they had quite a few chances. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Belgium beat us. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't worry too much. By the same token, you know, there'd be quite a few English players playing quite well at the moment. Uh, you think of the likes. Well, there's there's loads of them. So, look, maybe maybe they'll 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 bring that inspired club form back to to the international stage. But yeah, I I, do, I anticipate England competing and, and being in the game because I think that's that's the level that the that the country the country side is at now. Um, but yeah, no, I I I'll be using this international break more as a break from football <laughs> more than <laughs> to focus on our pride our pride and glory that is the England. Uh, national team all right i think we'll leave it there for this week then uh thanks for joining me again obviously we had the no worries we had last week's premier league fixtures and the upcoming international break this time next week we'll have uh i don't know if you'll be watching i don't I'm not sure if you'll be watching bolton against salted city on telly <laughs> i most certainly will be cheering on the boys back at home um affiliations bolton um so that, I'll, that'll be the highlight of my week um and then hopefully then, yes, this time next week we'll have some more Champions League football back, hopefully, and some Premier League. Um, maybe there won't be so much to say about the international break, but we'll, uh, we'll give it a good go again in seven days. So. Absolutely. So, uh, Wonderful. Thanks for joining me again this week, uh, Alfie. No uh, worries, mate. Cheers for having me on. Whoever is listening, and we'll, uh, we'll see you again next week.
Nas 